Well, good morning. Well, this Sunday is our, our second Sunday in our series on the book of Jonah. And uh, I actually had an experience last Thursday night that kind of made me think a little bit about Jonah um, that gave me just a tiny bit, just a tiny bit, just a fraction, just a hair of, of understanding of what it must have felt like for Jonah. Um, I tried something on Thursday night that I haven't tried in a very, very long time. Actually, all of 2013 has kind of, been, kind of been like that for me. I have been trying things that I haven't tried since I was a kid. So, for example, back in February, I started taking piano lessons again. I haven't taken piano lessons since I was probably 12 years old. And it's been a really great experience. It's been great to kind of learn the scales again and learn the techniques and learn how to better read the music again. And I just have to tell you, I polished off a really mean version of she'll be coming around the mountain as she comes. So... <laughs> While it'll be a while before you see me up there um, on that piano, it's been exciting to learn that again. And then a few weeks before that, I went and played squash for the first time since I was probably 13 years old. I went with Jeremy Roberts, and he kicked my keister all the way up and down the court. And uh, he's also 12 years younger than me. That's what I keep telling myself. But it was awesome to play that. Um, my body hurt a lot more than I remember back when I was 13. But it was fun to get out there and try something new exercise-wise. But last Thursday night, for the first time since I was probably 10 years old, I had a swimming lesson. Yeah, I booked a half-hour private lesson at the rec center just up the road from my house because I had this idea that it would be really cool to start swimming once or twice a week, go to the pool and, and swim some lengths, you know. But I don't know what the proper technique is, so I thought, I'm going to go and talk to someone who can teach me that. So I booked a half-hour private lesson. And, uh, and as I got there, my lesson was at 7 o'clock this past Thursday night, got there a few minutes early, and it quickly dawned on me that it's not often they have a 35-year-old man book a half-hour private lesson at the pool. Because I'm standing there, I got my swimsuit on, and I'm kind of standing in the spot where you're supposed to stand for uh, waiting for your, your private lesson. As I look out in the pool, the multitude of people out in the pool are either this high, this high, or that high. They're all kids. And most of them are in a group lesson, but some of them are in private lessons. And so I'm standing there just kind of waiting for my instructor to show up. And this big lifeguard guy comes over, and he's kind of like, you, do you need any help? Are you waiting for someone or what are you up to? And I was like, oh, I'm just waiting for my, my private lesson. It's starting at seven o'clock. He's like, oh, huh. Well, who's your instructor? And I said, I, I'm not sure actually. And he's like, okay, well, I'll, I'll go ask for you. So he goes off to ask. And, and then this other woman comes up. I think she was the head lifeguard. I've, I've seen her there before. Our kids have lessons there quite regularly. So, but she comes up and she kind of says the same thing. She's like, can I help you at all? Do you, I must've looked lost. I don't know. But she's like, do you need some help at all? And I said, well, I'm here for a private lesson. She's like, oh, we were expecting a kid. I'm like, it's me. And she's like, huh, okay, well, I'll go get your instructor. So she goes and gets my instructor. So my instructor comes over and my instructor looks at me and she's like, so you're here for a, a swim lesson? And I'm like, yeah. And she's like, okay, can you swim? <laughs> And I could tell she's sizing me up like, do I have to try and hold this guy up in the pool? Because nobody talked to me about this. 
And so I said to her, yes, I can swim. I've been swimming most of my life. It's usually just in the summer times at the lake, but I explained to her what I wanted to do. I wanted to learn some better technique. And she's like, oh, oh, okay, well, let's dive in. And uh, you can see the relief on her face. And she's like, show me what you got. So, so I start doing my attempt of a forward crawl. And I come back, I swim back to her. And she's like, well, your kicking is good. And... Uh, <laughs> I figure that's half the battle, and I'm like, okay, well, what do I have to do? And she says, well, usually when you do a forward crawl, your face is actually in the water. You have to hold your breath and put your face in the water. So I'm going to teach you guys this right now. So if you're doing a forward crawl, your face is in the water, and it's kind of one, two, three, and then, sorry, one, two, three, up and breathe, right? And then back in the water, one, two, three, up and breathe. I'm like, okay, I could do that. I see her do it. I'm like, no problem. So I'll do it. I'm like, one, two, three. <gasps> you know, and I, it was the hardest thing to coordinate your breathing with trying to, you know, do the arms and do the kicking. And, and so she's like, okay, let's try the backward crawl. There's less breathing issues with that. So you'll be on your back. And so we tried that and that went a lot better. And then the third thing she tried to teach me was the one called the breaststroke, where you're kind of doing this. And at the same time, you're doing this weird like frog thing with your legs trying to like propel yourself in the water at the same time head in the water and breathing and that was just kind of a disaster but she was very positive she's like you'll get it you know and and that was nice and I know that it was my imagination but I swear every lifeguard just kind of kept coming closer and closer to the lane that I was in sort of out of bewilderment and also concern what I thought would be just a half hour of picking up just a few techniques turned into a half hour of this arduous attempt to try and make some kind of semblance of organized motion, breathing, arms and legs all working together. And it was really tough. And I felt very much out of order would be the best way to put it. And I felt that if I didn't sort of rely on the training that she was giving me, especially out in the deep end, it wouldn't be long before things felt quite chaotic. That's how I felt. And as I think about chaos. And as we talk about Jonah, if we were to ask the prophet Jonah about chaos, I think he could tell us a thing or two about chaos. I mean, let's just kind of recap his day so far, shall we? God talks to, uh, to Jonah and says, I want you to go to Nineveh. I want you to, to give them a word that says they're sinners and they need to repent. They need to Acknowledge that they're in trouble, they need to call on the name of the Lord. And Jonah, for reasons that we don't know yet, says no, and he goes the other way. And he gets a one-way ticket for a Mediterranean cruise, right? And he gets on the ship. And it seems like as soon as the ship leaves the dock, boom, chaos. All the clouds form and the, the winds pick up and the rains come down. You can imagine the thunder and the lightning and all that, right? And Jonah's scared, but he keeps running. He goes down into the hold and he just decides to fall asleep. I'll just pretend that if I can't see it and can't hear it, then it doesn't happen, right? And, and the crew, the crew of the ship is frightened as well. And this is a pagan crew as well. These guys aren't even believers. And they wake up Jonah and they give him all this terrible paganish advice like, maybe you should call on the name of the Lord and ask for help. Imagine that. But Jonah doesn't, and the chaos continues, and the storm gets worse and worse. And finally, it comes out that Jonah is the reason for the storm. And so they say to him, what should we do? And Jonah says, I'll tell you what. He emphatically suggests, throw me over the side of the ship. And perhaps this is a, a valiant attempt to, to save the crew. Maybe this is just one more attempt to try and keep running, right? 
But the audacity of these pagan sailors, they say, no way, we're going to try and row to shore. We're going to try and save you. Can you believe that? And so they try and do so, but again, the chaos ensues and the, the winds grow and, and finally they relent and they say, okay. And they pick up Jonah and they call to his God and they say, Lord, do not hold us accountable for this, please. And they throw him overboard. And it seems like as soon as he hits the water, you can imagine the winds stop. And the sun comes up and there's a little rainbow over the ship, right? And now here's Jonah treading water. This is international sign language sign for treading water right here, okay? And here's Jonah. And yeah, he could tell us a thing or two about chaos, right? I mean, you can imagine him treading water, and I like to think he can hear the, the sailors who, the best part is, they seem to have converted. They've said now they're going to go and offer sacrifices and make vows to Jonah's God. So hallelujah, somebody got saved. That's good. But you can imagine Jonah's treading water as the ship kind of goes off in the distance, and you can hear the sailors, yo, ho, yo, ho, it's a pious life for me. Bum, bum. And here's Jonah. Let's not, let's not lose sight of this. Okay, here's Jonah treading water. And what's he thinking at this moment? I'm going to die. How did it come to this? I'm a prophet of the Lord Most High. I've graced the throne room of kings before to deliver God's word. And now I am ruined. I'm about to sink into the depths. Oh, well, at least I don't have to worry about all this running away stuff anymore. I mean, can't get any worse than this, right? And that's when you cue the Jaws theme. What do you do with a runaway prophet who will just not stop running? You give him a timeout. You put him in a penalty box, as we heard it put last week. And having a giant fish come and swallow you up, that'll do it. Thus ends chapter one of the book of Jonah, and suddenly what appears to be a fast-paced satirical comedy slows right down. And the book of Jonah suddenly changes gears. It's almost like John Cleese floated by in a dinghy and said, and now for something completely different. <laughs> If you look at the first, third, and fourth chapters, they give us this kind of third-person narrative account, what's happening. It's all kind of fast-paced. But then the second chapter, it completely changes. And we find this, this psalm, this psalm out of the first person. It's Jonah calling out to God. And it's actually a psalm of praise and thanksgiving. It's Jonah saying, thank you. And it's a bit of a different type of psalm. It, because it's a psalm of thanksgiving, it's, it kind of follows the criteria for that. There are numerous psalms in the, in the book of psalms that follow the same kind of criteria. It's quite lamentive, actually, but I guess if you're trapped in the belly of a fish, you'd have a kind of a dark tinge on things. But as we read Jonah's psalm, it speaks to the reader in a few different ways. First of all, it adds a little bit to the story. It adds a little bit more to what was happening in between Jonah in the water and Jonah being swallowed by a fish. And it also gives us a little bit of hope for Jonah. You see, in chapter 1, we look at Jonah and we keep thinking, silly Jonah, what are you doing? 
But as we read the psalm, we begin to to see some more of his prophet-like characteristics surface. Or, at the very, very least, we see Jonah finally getting honest with himself. I'm in trouble. I need to ask for help. In fact, he he finally takes the advice of the pagan sailor, and he calls upon the name of the Lord. Now, as he does so, I don't know if Jonah was waiting for rescue. Maybe he thought the ship would come back. Maybe he thought they'd come back and pick him up one more time and give it one more go. Or maybe he was waiting for a couple of dolphins, you know, those friendly dolphins to come up and hold on to them and take him back to shore. But as we read the psalm, we find that Jonah was drowning. And he was scared. Not a surprise. And we can't blame him for either of those things. But you listen to the language of the psalm. He's saying, From the depths of the grave as all your waves and breakers swept over me, while seaweed was wrapped around my head. I'm sinking down to the roots of the mountain. And in this moment of trouble, he was able to catch a breath and lift up to the Lord a prayer as he struggled to keep from sinking into the depths. In my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help and you listened to my cry. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Jonah's psalm adds to the story then as we learn of this conversation that took place before the fish appeared. Jonah finally calls out to the Lord for help, and the Lord answers by swallowing him up with a giant fish. It's better than no answer at all. As we read Jonah's psalm in chapter 2, it reminds us that we need to turn to God. We need to turn to the scriptures in times of trouble because that's exactly what Jonah does. Indeed, the language that we find in the poetry of Jonah's psalm echoes multiple songs out of the book of Psalms, the Psalms of David. As an Israelite and certainly as a prophet of God, Jonah would be familiar with these passages. Now, As a minister, but not even as a minister, as anyone who is a believer, we are called to pray, aren't we? And oftentimes we're we're, we're called to pray for people, on behalf of people. We're called to pray for different situations. And sometimes it's really hard to know what to say. I struggle with that sometimes. Certain situations, I'm like, Lord, I don't know where to even start here. What do I pray for this? It's times like this that I actually envy my dad. My dad is a a minister in the Anglican Church, in the Anglican Network of Canada. And in the Anglican Church, they have what's called the Book of Common Prayer. It's a lovely little book that's full of prayers for all sorts of different situations that you come across in life. So there are prayers in here for people who are sick. There are prayers in here for every kind of uh, church calendar moment. There's prayers in here for if you're going off to sea. There are prayers in here for weddings and for funerals. There's prayers in here to give encouragement. And I, I remember so often he would take off from the house and he'd have his book of common prayer with him. I think that's what the Psalms were to Jonah. I think that's what the Psalms are to us. They are our book of common prayer. Prayers for the common people. 
They are the original prayer app. Are you happy and you want to give a prayer up to the Lord for that? Look to the Psalms. There's a Psalm for that. Are you sad and you don't have the words, but you want to express that to the Lord? Look to the Psalms. There's a lot of Psalms for that. Are you angry or are you frustrated? There's a Psalm for that. Do you feel that life will never, ever get better and you are sinking down to the depths, never to return again? There's even a Psalm for that. The Psalms are what Jonah knows and they are what he turns to in his time of distress. And there's a great echo here in his psalm of other psalms, Psalms 18, 30, 69, 130, the list goes on. He's pulling what he knows. And so it's good to know the scripture. It's good to know where to turn in times of struggle. So in Jonah chapter 2, here's a psalm that adds to Jonah's story. It tells us there's, there's more going on than just a man falling into the water and getting swallowed by a whale or a great fish. Here is a man who finally recognizes his need to stop running, to call on the name of God. And he is rescued in the most unlikely manner. And then from within his new abode, he offers up a psalm of praise and thanksgiving. And not just thanksgiving. He makes some wonderful declarations as well. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you What I have vowed, I will make good. I will say, salvation comes from the Lord. Amen? Would have sounded really good if he had said that to the people of Nineveh. But better to say it, I guess, than not to say it at all. And so we could look at the psalm and we could just kind of leave it there. But I have to be really honest with you guys. There's something about this that bothers me. And I want to ask you this morning to be bothered with me a little bit. Now, here's what I don't want you to hear. I don't want you to hear that I've discovered something new in this text that no one has ever, ever found or thought of, okay? Don't hear that. I know there are people who are much wiser and much more trained and much smarter than me who have spent thousands of hours going over this. And I've looked at, you know, a number of different commentaries and and read different translations. So I'm not saying that I've discovered something new, but this is what bothers me when I read this. I think... I think there's somebody in the belly of the fish with Jonah. I think that there's an elephant in there with him. I'm not talking literally. I'm talking about the elephant in the room kind of elephant. You guys know about that elephant? It's really big. It's really obvious. It's probably pink. You know, when you get together with somebody, two or more people get together and something has happened. There's been some kind of awkward situation or something was said that offended somebody and there's a need to talk about it and it's big, and it's obvious, and it's right there. Everybody can see it, but nobody addresses it. You see, Jonah calls on the name of the Lord. He gives thanks for his rescue. He makes declarations about God and his sovereignty and his power to save, but there's one thing that we never see or hear Jonah do. He never addresses why he's in this situation. 
He never states why God had to rescue him. He never addresses the fact that he ran from God. In short, it would appear that Jonah never repents. He never says he's sorry. If we were to put it in legal language, Jonah is in contempt of God's court right now. He has willfully disobeyed the Lord and then ran from recognizing his disobedience. And like a man flailing in the water in an unfamiliar environment, Jonah is out of order. And if he is out of order with God, then he has invited chaos into his life. Just as we've seen in all the events leading up to even now, because I don't think we can equate having a timeout in the whale as a sense of order right now. There's still a pretty good element of chaos to that, I would think. So here is Jonah with this giant elephant beside him, this big old pink elephant that you can't ignore, but he never addresses it. And as I think about this, I wonder to myself sometimes, what did this psalm of praise and thanksgiving really sound like to God? And I think we can have a little bit of fun with this. I mean, here's Jonah in the whale, and, and he's just been rescued. And so he gives thanks. He says, Whew, thank you, Lord. In my distress, I called to you, and you answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. Thanks, man. You really came through for me. Jonah, it was my pleasure to do so. I'm so glad I was able to help you. Is there, um, is there anything you'd like to talk about? Well, uh, well, when you hurled me into the depths, and God must have loved that one. Jonah, I don't think I hurled you into anywhere. You chose to jump off the ship. But when you hurled me into the depths, Lord, into the very heart of the seas and all the currents, they, they swirled about me and all the waves and breakers, they swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight, but I will look again to your holy temple. Thank you. Okay, Jonah, yeah. That's good. Is there um, anything else you want to talk about? Something big, perhaps. Something big and obvious, perhaps, that we could maybe share a few words about. The, uh, the engulfing waters, they threatened me. Um, the deep surrounded me. Seaweed, Lord, was wrapped all around my head. Jonah, there's an elephant right beside you. There's a big old elephant right beside you there, Jonah. Do you want to talk about that at all? Um, to the roots, Lord, to the roots of the mountains I sank. I, the earth beneath me barred me in forever. But you, Lord, you brought me up out of the pit. Would you call that an African elephant or an Asian elephant? I'll give you a hint. You can tell by the ears. Um... When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you to your holy temple. You really got nothing else for me. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them, but I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I vowed, I will make good. I say salvation comes from the Lord. And so we laugh a little bit about it, and I poke fun at it a little bit. And for those I've offended, please forgive me. I'm not trying to belittle the word of God. I'm not trying to 
diminish its power in any way. I don't think I could if I tried. God's word always stands for itself. But we need to remember what we talked about last week. When we choose to laugh at Jonah, when we choose to look at this as satire, by doing so, we are holding up a mirror to ourselves, right? Jonah's story is our story. We've all willfully disobeyed God at some point or another and then attempted to run from it. But as we do so, we find ourselves in contempt, out of order. And as a result, we invite chaos into our lives. It may never be as fantastic or dramatic as being swallowed up by a great fish. Other times, it's incredibly fantastic and incredibly dramatic. But in the end, there will always be a sense of confusion and disorder that comes from running from the one you cannot run from. But what we need to remember is that our God is a redemptive God. You see, the story of Jonah could have easily have ended with Jonah just being cast over the ship into the water. The sailors could have sailed on home and and made their sacrifices to Jonah's God and kept their vows and, and lived wonderfully dedicated lives to the Most High God. And Jonah could have just sunk, sunk right down. And instead of becoming fish food, became like fish food. And in the end, perhaps Jonah would have just become a a campfire story that Israelites get to tell their children late at night. Don't disobey God or you'll become like Jonah. Remember him? Our God is a redemptive God. And we need to remember that in the end, he can even control the chaos in our lives. You see, the language of chaos in Jonah's psalm would have spoken vividly to the Israelites as they read it. In the Jewish literary tradition, the sea and all the elements within it represented chaos. Dry land represented order. That's why in so many of the psalms, you hear the psalmist write, from out of the depths, I called to you, Lord. I was out of control. I was in crisis and I called to you. And you hear the psalmist write, and then you set my feet upon dry land and you made my footsteps firm. He brings us into order, God's provision and security and safety for us. In fact, it's another comedic element to the whole story that God controlled the chaos, the uncontrollable, to rescue Jonah. And he can do the same in our lives as well. Our God is a redemptive God, and he is not content to see us fall into ruin. He is relentless in his love for us. And because of that, there are times where he will not let us foolishly try to get away. He will chase us down. And sometimes that means giving us a time out, giving us our own in the belly of the fish experience. You know those times. It's those times when life gets so incredibly hectic and crazy and it's out of control, and you find those moments where all you can do is just fall on your bed or fall on your knees or fall on your face and just call upon God to come and help you. 
The question for us is, in those moments, are we still attempting to hide and sugarcoat our sin before God? Do we approach him while bringing in this big elephant and then thank him for his grace and offer up prayers and, and worship? Or do we get completely transparent with him, hard and awkward as it may be, and confess our sins? Lord, I need to talk to you today about this, this big elephant. I've been trying to hide him from you. I need to address it. Maybe I'm being too hard on Jonah. Maybe his psalm from within the whale was a type of repentance. After all, he was vomited onto dry land afterwards, right? Out of chaos, back into order. I guess we'll have to see how that went. Did he obey God in the end? Tune in next week to find out. <laughs> did he obey God? And if so, how did it go? Worship team, would you please come back up? But church, for us, there is a need to step back and recognize that our God is more than willing and able to redeem us, to pick us up out of our ruin, out of our chaos, and bring our lives back into proper order as only he can. And I believe this can only truly happen when we come before Jesus and ask him to give us a heart of repentance. Not just so that the bad feelings go away, but because we honestly desire to be as close to Jesus as we can be. Not to get anything out of him, just to be with him. There's no greater freedom than that. And we are all invited to take part in that. And a heart of repentance is not something that you can just put on. I can't come to you this morning and say, everyone, we're going to have a heart of repentance. Are you ready? Because I recognize that sometimes we're just not ready. Sometimes we're content to just keep running. Sometimes we dare God. Come and catch me. See if you can. And sometimes he'll chase after you. Sometimes he'll let you go a little bit. But in the end, we need to ask for that heart of repentance. And it only comes again out of that desire to just be close to Jesus. But this morning, I would like to ask us, before we sing along with this next song that the worship team is about to sing, I've asked them to, to do it twice. And the first time that they sing this next song, I would like us to just take a few moments to listen to the words and to ask God to just come have a seat next to us and speak to us. Can we get honest for a minute about where we're at with him? And then let's all sing the, the song through again together. But for now, let's just take a moment to just be quiet before him. And as we do, I want to leave you with just one question to have on your heart. What sin is in my life that I am refusing to address and unwilling to repent of? What sin is in my life that I am 
refusing to address and unwilling to repent of. 